Good morning, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. And I've got the best gift that you'll probably get all day, I don't know. Uh, maybe you'll get a better one, but I doubt it. Um, how about a word from the scriptures, how about that? That's uh, my gift to you. I trust that uh, it will be of value to you. 1951, Florence Chadwick attempted to become the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. She was a typist by trade and a swim teacher. Um, she did it. She was the first one to do it. 1952, she attempted to swim from Catalina Isla to, the, to, to, the, to mainland California, which is 26 miles. Um, it was so foggy that she couldn't see her escort boats. After 15 hours, she begged to be taken out of the water. Her mother, who was in one of the escort boats, told her she could make it, that she was very, very close, but physically and emotionally exhausted, she lost heart. She could not see the shore. She stopped swimming, and she was pulled out of the Pacific less than a half mile from the shore. At the news conference the next day, she said this, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. So some of you already know where I'm going with this. It's what our last four sermons have been about, blowing away some of the fog that we might clearly see the shore. I don't know if any of you have read uh, Iron Judson's autobiography, but the, the name of his autobiography is The Golden Shore. I may, you may hear that reference a few times this morning. As we've seen in the last four weeks, to try to help us see the shore and get our eyes off of this world, our money is not our money. Our money is about how much we love God. It's really at the bottom line. That's what it's about. Our lives are not all about us. Our lives are a stewardship before God. Our talents, abilities, and aptitudes are not just ours to use and and make money on, they are also a stewardship from God. And I made this point with you last week. Despite the fact that in obedience we are only doing what we ought, stewardship is an ought, everything you have and will have and own was a gift from God, of course you are a steward. Of course we're stewards. Not only have we done what we ought, God owes man nothing. The Bible is clear about this, says it in several places, Romans 11:35 in particular. In spite of those two things, it's God's purpose to lavishly reward His faithful stewards. It's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And I've been challenging you to do both the requisite heart and mind work to figuratively get one foot over into eternity. Now, I don't know if any of you are working on this. It's, it, it's unavoidable for me because I sit behind my desk and I put the messages together and God is just calling me, right? Now, if you're in the Bible, He's just calling you, right? He's calling you out of the world. You know, so isn't it true? It's so easy to get distracted and we start looking at some shiny thing over here, right? If you're not in the Word, you're going to be looking at some shiny thing over here in the world. It's, uh, you, got, you got to work to get that one foot over. 
And then everything Jesus says makes perfect sense about being a steward, right? We understand that we need to be radical in our stewardship. I saw a quote this week in my preparations by uh, 18th century theologian Jonathan Edwards. Listen to what he says. Is this true of you? Listen. We must all labor. Now there's the word I want you to hear. Labor to get a sense of the vanity of the world. I think it's all too easy for us to get caught up in all the superficiality of the world. He continues, and labor to be much acquainted with heaven. I love that. Some of us aren't doing this. We're not looking at it. We're not longing for it. We're not allowing it to change our lives. It's academic. Yeah, I know it's in the Bible, but I'm not thinking about it. It's not changing the way I, uh, you know, I do my job and love my wife and love my husband and raise my kids. The fact that I'm going to give an account to God, I don't think about it. doesn't mean much. I love that Edwards has challenged us to labor to understand the vanity of this world and to labor to be much acquainted with forever, right? Much acquainted with heaven. In my mind, this is essential and urgently important for each one of us. And this might be, Brad may disagree, we've been talking about sermons on the healthy church, this might be the most important one. Because if you're not heavenly minded, you don't know what you're doing here. We don't know what we're doing if we're not heavenly minded, if we don't have one foot over. You know, if we're not serious about where we're going, if we're not thinking about it and meditating on it and praying about it and searching it out in the scriptures and reading great theologians, something's wrong. I think this might be the most important sermon. Brad may have a better one coming. If you're not heavenly minded, you don't have a clue what the ecclesia is about. If it doesn't inform the way you think every morning. Beloved, it ought not be this way. I love that Edward uses the, Edwards uses the word vanity to describe the world. Here's some synonyms. It's futile, it's empty, it's useless, it's pointless, it's worthless, it's hollow, it's nothingness. And I like this last one. Lastly, it's unreality. Now I think, I know we, we, we think this is reality. What I can see, what I can touch, what I can feel, what I can hear, that's reality. God says it's not. God says you're a mist. You're just a mist. And you're passing through. We've talked about it in this series already that most of our existence will be in the other world. Now, obviously, if we're in relationship with Christ, that will be in the new heaven and new earth. If we're not in relationship with Christ, it will be in hell. Nobody goes into annihilation. Our souls are immortal. We will spend forever somewhere. Okay? And of course, as Christians, we look at heaven. Some years ago, I was studying about heaven. 
And uh, God revealed a new promise to me in a very familiar verse. You're going to know this verse. It's a famous verse. I always saw it as a warning. It is a warning. There's a warning in this verse. Um, but as I was studying and thinking deeply about heaven, I saw, I saw the promise. James 4.14, God tells us that we are vapors that appear for a little while and then we vanish away. Yeah, that's a warning about the transitory nature of human life. But do you, do you see the promise? It's only for a little while. You only have to put up with this junk for a little bit longer. You know, I think I'm going to take up where Brad has given me some good counsel. You know, just, you know, get off the grid and not watch all the nonsense. Doesn't it make you crazy to watch the nonsense? I mean, this, this, this fast sprint to utter and total and complete moral and cultural depravity. Um, but you'll vanish away in a little while. It's not very long. You don't have to put up with this mess very long. It won't be long. God will take us home. I love this promise. He's telling us you don't have far to go. The shore is really, really close. Back to Florence Chadwick. She, she couldn't finish because she couldn't see it. And what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is you have to work to see it. You need to see it every day. You don't just need to hear a sermon on heaven, you know, and read a nice devotional about it and pack it up. You need to work on this. It needs to be real to you. Because if heaven's real to you, hell will be real to you. For some of us, again, I, I fear for many in the church today, not just this church, but in church at large, that it's just academic. I don't really think about it. It doesn't affect my life. You know, you look at those verses. I think there are nine of them. Could be wrong, but I think there are nine of them in the Revelation. Talking about the overcomer, right? The overcomer, nine times. The Holy Spirit talks about the overcomer and all these blessings that will be given to the overcomer. So the exhortation today is that we would be overcomers. We will labor. We will labor to understand that this world is vanity, and we will labor to be much acquainted with heaven. We will labor. We won't be negligent in that regard. I was reading Piper this week. The overcomer, he's the one, she's the one that pursues enjoyment of God with all their might. Do you pursue your enjoyment of God with all your might? Now, I know we all fall short to some degree here, but my, my question is, are you, are you pursuing Him? Are you pursuing Him? You remember what Jesus said to the sheep on the last day? Prepare to receive your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. B Beloved, if we believe this text here, God's been working on this for a while, right? And something is seriously amiss if we're not spending a lot of time meditating on it. This is not our home. You know it. This is not our home. We're pilgrims. We're aliens. We're strangers. We're exiles. We're passing through. 
If we're biblically literate, we understand these things. Florence Chadwick couldn't see the shore and she lost heart. God is exhorting you and I this morning not to lose heart, but to labor on. And that word echoed in my soul. And I don't know if it echoes in yours. But I, I'm going to ask you, are you laboring? Are you laboring to get a clearer picture of your inheritance? Are you laboring to put down the vanities of this world? Are you at work? Are you at work? We talked about a couple of these verses recently. The Apostle Paul <laughs> yeah, he was laboring. You guys know, just real quick, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Paul says, I press on, forgetting what's behind and reaching for what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's laboring, Right? 1 Corinthians 9, 24-26. I think I shared it last week. Paul told the Corinthians how to overcome. you got to run with an aim. You need to have an aim. You need to have an aim. And Paul says, well, I'll run to win. I'm, I'm running. I, I'm, giving, I'm, giving all, I'm giving all of myself to this thing. Right? I'm looking at the Bema, the Bema. Looking at the Bema. When I will look Jesus Christ, my Creator, Redeemer, in the eye. That's the day. That's what's in my mind. That's what I focus on all the time. Not just on Sunday morning for 40 minutes. He permeates my thinking. He permeates my emotion. He permeates my intellect. Paul says, I run to win. You guys know the word overcome. The Greek word, is it Nike or Nike? Or do you know? I don't think it matters. Nike? Nike. You guys know it, right? Some of you are maybe wearing it right now. That's where Nike got the name. Uh, overcomer. What does it mean? To conquer, to prevail, to get the victory. Of course. Perfect uh, athletic wear name. God's talking about the overcomer. And John writes this, this passage, right? John writes that passage about overcoming by our what? Anybody remember? Faith. I think it's in 1 John 5. And this was a shocking thing for John to write to the Christians in the first century. They were a bunch of losers. I mean, they worshipped a crucified Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. And John's talking about overcoming. He's talking about the victory. He's talking about conquering. He's talking about prevailing. <laughs> God says, this is how my sons and daughters see the world. This is how they prosecute life. They finish. That's the title of the sermon. A call to finish well. Karen and I have the privilege to go to a conference uh, next week. Week after, well, a week from Monday. And I, I'm so excited. The title of the conference is Finishing Well. At my age, I want to finish well. I found out this week I have high blood pressure. I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know. We'll find out. But you know what? I get to preach this morning, <laughs> right? 
Aren't there things you do for God that you love with all your heart, mind, and soul, and, and energy, and passion, and you just, you know, you feel the pleasure of God in your life? You remember 1 John 5, 4 and 5? We are overcomers because we are born of God. And as we've been saying over and over at ad nauseum, maybe, is that we are the called out ones. We are the ecclesia. Now, I want to say to you, every born, a Christ, every born again Christian, uh, we, we understand that we will overcome. We will overcome. We'll finish by God's sovereign design, His love, His grace, and His power. But you must live the miracle. You must do the miracle. I love John Piper says that. You must do the miracle. The miracle's been done, but you must live it out. So, you know, I have, I have you know, folks sometimes they say to me, well, God's sovereign, you know, I'll do it or not do it. He's sovereign. If He wants me to do it, He'll make it happen. He'll, he'll, he'll do it in my life. That's not how the Bible talks. You're supposed to do the miracle. If the miracles happen, if you're born again, you have the responsibility to live it out. You guys know that text, right? Uh, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. You must work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who, who is at work in you. Responsibility and sovereignty, right? Right there in the text. God is sovereign, but you're responsible. You're responsible to, to, to be a steward. You're responsible to obey the word of God. You're responsible to think deeply about heaven and let, it, and let it affect the way you live today. That's your responsibility. Sovereignty and responsibility. You know, people fall in a ditch on both sides of the issue. God commands us to be good stewards, mindful of his promised reward to build, as we talked about last week, with gold and silver and precious stones, 1 Corinthians 3, and to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven, Luke Chapter 12, we hit these verses. I'm going to hit them again. Paul exhorts us, look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. You've got to labor to do this. It's not just going to, you know, when you wake up in the morning, it's not going to happen by osmosis. You have to labor to set your eyes on the things above. Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. So I'm preaching on heaven today because it was the next logical place to go in our series. And I want to say to you that the shore is very, very close. Very, very close. Even if you're 15, it's closer than you think. Very soon, each one of us will stand before the God who created us. And I know there's a complete lack of fear before God in the culture. I know it. Even in, it permeates many churches. There's no fear and trembling before Yahweh. You know, he's a nice, chummy, grandfatherly kind of person who winks at my sin and winks at my indifference. It doesn't matter if I go to church or not. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if, if I support his work. It doesn't matter if I fellowship with his people. It doesn't really matter. He loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that kind of generic, false, pseudo-evangelism. If you're outside of his will... He does not have a wonderful plan 
for your life. If you don't know Him, if you don't love Him, if you haven't prostrated yourself before Him and offered up all that you are and all that you have, right? He does not have a wonderful plan for your life. So, okay, my apologies. When I think about heaven, you, you know, it's not like a text you can expound. Um, there, there are glimpses all over the Bible. But I, I was trying to think of the one verse that uh, I think of when I think of heaven. It's, John, pardon me, it's Psalm 1611. In his presence is fullness of joy. In his right hand there are pleasures forever. So I'm not going to really exposit this, but I'm going to try to expound upon it. I'm going to try to tease it out for the rest of the sermon. And I'm going to be quoting some folks, right? I'm going to be quoting some guys and uh, some teachers that I respect. I'm not saying they're infallible, but... I just want to try to tease out some of the truth that's resident in Psalm 16, 11. Ultimately, what is David saying here? God is perfect joy and God is perfect pleasure. Ultimately, that's, that's where David is taking us. God is the ultimate pleasure of forever. Yes, there will, there will be secondary and derivative joys, in the new heaven and new earth, but not out of necessity, right? Not out of necessity. God would be enough. So I want to tease some of this out just a little bit. I did a brief word study on the Hebrew word translated joy. You know what it means. Gladness, delight, happiness, cheerfulness, enchantment. I like that enchantment. Jonathan Edwards says it this way. In heaven, every Every human faculty will be an inlet of delight. I love this. Every human faculty will be an inlet of delight. Non-stop inlet of delight. Lewis says it like this, C.S. Lewis, joy is the serious business of heaven. It, it will be entertainment for all of the senses. I also looked up the Hebrew word translated pleasure. You know what it means. Sweetness, delight, loveliness, beauty, satisfaction, contentedness, bliss, fun, gratification. You know, it's like John in the Revelation. He can't describe, he gets a glimpse of the New Jerusalem. He can't, he, you can just feel him straining, right? <laughs> he, he was straining to get it down. How beautiful it was. Jesus gives us some breathtaking insights on the joy and bliss of heaven in John chapters 15 and 17. Jesus doesn't just say we'll have maximum human joy. What does Jesus say? Those of you who know your Bibles, what does Jesus say there? We're not just going to have maximum human joy. What are we going to have? His joy. And he goes on to say, I'll make it full in you. Oh, divine joy. How big is divine joy? It's omnipotent. It's eternal. It's invincible. You know, maybe you, I'm an old guy. I've been around the block a few times. You know, all the lies the world tells you, oh, that's going to make you happy, man. That's great. That's going to that's make it happen for you. You know, it, it doesn't. You young people probably have to learn it for yourself. But, you know, 
hopefully you won't have to do that. Hopefully you won't have to learn it for yourself. God is the reward of the regenerate soul. God is the delight of the regenerate soul. God is the joy of the regenerate soul. That's, that's just, oh, I'm passing that along to you young people as an old man. You may or may not understand. But can you imagine 10 minutes of pure euphoric joy? Maybe you can imagine 10 minutes. I don't know. Maybe you women, when you had a baby, maybe it was just 10 minutes of euphoric joy. Maybe it was a day. Maybe it was a week. But what we're talking about here is an eternity of euphoric joy and pleasure. And when was the last time you thought about it? I'm asking you. When was the last time you thought deeply about it and meditated on it and praised God for this unbelievably awesome promise that awaits? You know, if we don't think about heaven, it's almost like saying, I don't believe your promise. It's almost like saying that. I don't believe, that you're, I don't believe you're that beautiful and that awesome and you're going to fill my soul forever. I don't really believe it. Well, maybe I'm going to be a cherub on a cloud playing a harp. I hope not. I'll kill myself. You know, the world gives us these dumbed down, stupid things, impressions to think about. Jesus says, I'll fill you up forever. Never ending, ever increasing joy. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this. He said, you know, we don't just taste infinite joy. We're united with it. We pass into it. We receive it into ourselves. We become part of it. Edward says, Jonathan Edwards says, the redeemed shall eternally experience ever-increasing joy, conformity and union with God, a never-ending, ever-increasing discovery of more and more of God with greater and greater joy and delight in Him. I'm going to read to you from the book I, sh I shared with you last week. Edward says something like this regarding our apprehension of divine joy and pleasure. We will ascend constantly toward an infinite height, moving upwards with a given velocity that will continue thus to move to all eternity. It never wanes. It never stops. It's an avalanche of the beauty and glory of God into our souls and minds. You know, back to the, every sense is an inlet of delight. Oh, beloved, we have made a terrible error that we don't think about this all the time. And I'm telling you, it may be the most important sermon that gets preached in this series. I'll, I'll defer to the brother, but I'm telling you, man, if you get a big glimpse of heaven, it will change everything. You, it changes everything. And I'm the first to admit I've got work to do, but I'm doing the work. I'm laboring. I'm laboring. I invite you to join me. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote the, the book, The Last Battle. And you may remember when the children arrived in the new Narnia. And the new Narnia is just the new heaven and new earth, okay? Old Narnia is the old 
the old heaven and old earth passing away. New Narnia is the new heaven and the new earth. <laughs> um, Lucy says, I love this. <laughs> I've got a feeling we've come to a country where everything is allowed. Everything's allowed. How do we understand that? Every one of those eternal pleasures God has in His right hand, it is allowed for us. The kingdom is ours. The kingdom is ours. Does it mean anything to you that God says, I've, I've prepared the kingdom for you before the foundation of the world? Does it mean anything to you at all? Video games... Or more interesting to me, hey, I'm not throwing off on video games, you know, in mass. But there's just something wrong if we claim to be Christians and we're more enamored or fashion or cars or real estate or portfolios. If we're enamored with anything over and above the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got a huge problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a significant problem. Why is everything allowed? There's no sin in heaven. We talked about it last week. Sin is as, is as alien and distasteful and unthinkable and unimaginable to us as it is to the Son. Every perfect, pure, good, delightful, joyful pleasure is ours. Everything in the new heaven and new earth is allowed. It's a great thought. Don't know if you've thought about that. As I said, there's more to heaven than God, but not out of necessity. Christ will fill us up for a billion eternities with His infinite beauty, glory, intellect, and mystery. And I love this, you know, this is my favorite attribute of God, His mystery. Some of you think you got Him figured out. Some of you think He's a little boring. You have no idea. If you think Christ is boring, you have not met Him. You have not met Him. He is anything but boring. He's going to fill us up with Himself, and yet God has purpose to give us countless secondary and derivative joys, earthly, physical, familiar. We will be resurrected physical beings, loving, worshiping, and serving our resurrected physical God, exercising dominion over His physical universe. God is taking us back to paradise, and it will be physical. Some of you probably didn't know that. I don't know. Probably most of you did. Some of you probably didn't know. That we're, going, we're, we're going to a physical new heaven and new earth. In his book entitled Heaven, Randy Alcorn gives about 200 pages of the 500 and I think it's 53. It's, it's one of those, but I, I commend it to you. Um, he gives 200 pages to miscellaneous questions commonly asked about heaven, including that ever-present question, will my pet be there and can I talk to him? Now, I'm just going to leave you in the dark on that. Um, I'm not going to tell you how Alcorn speculates, but it's such a vital issue. Will my doggy be there? I know some of you have pets you love. Uh, 
But yeah, we'll talk about more important things this morning. I love what Alcorn challenges us to do here. He takes Francis Schaeffer's advice. Francis Schaeffer was a famous theologian in the last century. Regarding how we should think about heaven, Francis Schaeffer says we should use our sanctified imagination to fly beyond the stars. And this is what Alcorn basically does. This is the value of the book, to kind of set us free from sometimes this concrete thinking we have, this box thinking we have. And again, the Bible is mysterious about heaven. You know, we, we know it's going to be amazing, but there's, we, we, it's, it's not like a passage, again, that you can go and exposit. You, have, you get glimpses all over the Bible. Regarding the eternal state will be, you know, I think Karen and I had a discussion today. What, where does the where does the man or woman go who dies now? Well, they're either in paradise or heaven, awaiting the new heaven and new earth, or they're in Hades, awaiting to be cast into, into hell. But when the end times come, God will bring back Eden. God is redeeming creation. He's taking us back, and He's taking back creation for His glory and for the joy of the elect, redeemed, resurrected, restored. C.S. Lewis, in one of his writings, he calls this earth the Shadowlands. And I like that he, he says that. Um, the earth, fallen and marred by the corruption of our sin, it's only a shadow. This is, you know, there are some beautiful things on this planet, right? There's some beautiful aspects uh, to life here. But it's just, it's, it's, it's a shadow compared to where we're headed, right? It's a very, very faint echo compared to what awaits us. You remember some of the dialogue of Lewis's characters in the last battle regarding old Narnia and new Narnia. Lewis writes, all of the old Narnia, the old earth, that mattered will be drawn up into the new Narnia, which is the new earth. The old Narnia was a shadow compared to the real thing, compared to the new Narnia. He continues, the new Narnia, which is the new earth, is a deeper country. I like this. This may not re resonate with you, but it resonates with me. Every rock, every flower, and every blade of grass looked as if it meant something. And yet it all means something, doesn't it? Even the, the grass in my yard, even the weeds in my yard, right. They, they're begging the question, there is a creator. There is a creator. And he's worthy of your worship. And if you're not worshiping him, one day it's going to get real bad. Because you're going to meet him very soon. And that blade of grass, that weed in my yard, it's confessing that he's there. You don't get something from nothing. There has to be an adequate first cause. You know, you can logically, you can logically get to God. Then you've got to figure out which God we're talking about. And there's only one revelation that's, what shall we say, credible, 
it's this one. There is no other credible revelation of any so-called deity other than the Bible. Lewis puts these words in the mouth of the unicorn. I'm home at last. Don't you love this? I'm home at last. It is our home, right? <laughs> I say that a lot to Karen lately. And I've got high blood pressure, so it may not be soon. It may not be too long. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the Lord does. I'm going to talk to Joe about that. <laughs> okay. It, the unicorn says, I've come home at last. This is my real country. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. I belong here. <laughs> the reason we loved old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little bit like this. You know Lewis's famous statement, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was not made for this one. I was made for the next one. I mean, I'm just, this is just logic. You know, again, at 68, I can say to you, the, whole, the world's prom made promise after promise after promise to me, and none of it's been true. None of it's been true. It's all been a lie. Every bit of it's been a lie. But I tell you what, you get a glimpse of Christ, <laughs> then you know why you were created. You know what it's all about. In the new earth, we'll see the real earth. Eden-like, better than Eden, theologian R.C. Ryle says, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. And Alcorn builds on that. He says, I pity the man who never thinks accurately about heaven. Shame on you. You call yourself a Christian. Shame on me if I call myself a Christian and I don't have some kind of real deep theology about what the new heaven and new earth will be like. And yes, sometimes you have to use your sanctified imagination, but my question is, are you employing your sanctified imagination? Or you got too much cable going on. Beloved, we're not going to be little naked cherubs on a cloud. We will be physical beings exercising dominion over an infinite physical cosmos under the sovereign kingship of Jesus Christ. And the New Jerusalem, we know a little bit about it. What will it be like? We know that it's, it's, it's huge, 2.25 million square miles. Um, I, I'm not, you know, listen, I don't know if this is, if this is some of this language is, is literal or physical, uh, or literal, literal or, um, what's the word I want? Metaphorical? Um, doesn't matter. It's all good. MacArthur says regarding Revelation 21 and the New Jerusalem, the overpowering radiance of God's glory and beauty will refract and glisten through the entire city. The gems picture a brilliant, indescribable, spectacular exhibition of beautiful colors that send forth the light of God's glory and beauty. You know, you read that text there, and you, you can feel John, even with the, the enabling of the Holy Spirit, you can kind of feel John struggling to describe. You, can't, you know, beauty is one of those words, you, you just almost can't define it, right? You, you know it when you see it, but you, it just defies definition. 
The New Jerusalem is God's city. It will be filled with natural wonders, parks, gardens, magnificent ac ac uh, ac architecture, engineering marvels, thriving, dynamic, engaging culture with perfect brotherhood, fellowship, love for every fellow citizen. You won't have any keys. Why will you not have keys? There won't be any locks. Right? And if my brother needs something, he can have it. It's my, it's my great joy to... Because I have a good, good father... I don't really have any needs that I'm afraid won't be met. Of course they're going to be met forever. Beloved, we got to, this is a big deal. I just, I really feel like if, if, if we take this serious, uh, some of our lives might change. The New Jerusalem will include all the best God-inspired human culture and will c contain none of the dark side of Satan-inspired human culture. The New Jerusalem is not the full extent of the new heaven and new earth. It is merely the center of it. The question is always raised. Is all we'll do in heaven is worship Jesus? Yes! 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 For every nanosecond of eternity, we will be hopelessly enamored with King Jesus and we will never want to stop worshiping Him in heart-exploding worship celebrations. And we will never be able to stop worshiping King Jesus as we rule and reign and work and explore and discover and learn and teach and design and create and investigate and build and dream unending intellectual pleasure As we fully employ our unique gifts and talents in serving the Lord, as we travel, talk to angels, maybe your pet, I don't know, I'm not taking a position on that. Alright? I'm not really a pet guy. Now, if, Karen, if the Lord takes Karen first, I might get me a dog, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe we'll get to know some of our biblical, well, we will get to know some of our biblical and historical heroes, Abraham, David, Ezekiel, Rahab, Ruth, Mary, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, Brad Vaden. Joe Camerunas. You know, I do, I do think about this. So I do think about this a lot. I have this thought a lot. Sitting under a tree, musing about the time God did that thing in, in, in the world. And I, I think there'll be times when Jesus might say, you know, well, that was me. And I should have said, I, you know, you'll say like, well, I, I should have known it was you. I didn't think it was you, but I, of course it was you. <laughs> right? I just, sitting under a tree, musing about all the beauty that, and things that God has done. We'll never be able to stop worshiping as we love, touch, hug, eat, relax, hike, play, ski, ride horses on the beach, and do 10,000 other things that we love to do. And we'll worship Christ in all of them. I like what Piper says about this. We will really be able to worship in heaven. We'll have the stamina to do it. I love that. You know how we are here. We can't. Our, uh, we lose our train of thought after 15 minutes or maybe before that. But we'll have stamina to truly worship the Lord 
And what will we do in heaven? Everything we want, as I've already referenced. Everything we want, because there will be no sin there. If you're not excited about heaven, I'm just going to say to you, you're unconverted. Or you're deeply backslidden. If you're not excited about heaven, you're unconverted or you're deeply backslidden. And you can rectify both of those problems. You know, Hebrews 11, those men and women, there was this symbiotic relationship between really living out their faith and, and encountering the deep pleasure of God, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, when you obey God in that scary place and He shows up, right? Hebrews 11, men and women laboring to, be much, to, to, to become much acquainted with heaven. Yeah, you can tell I'm enamored with that phrase. So are you looking at heaven? 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Now we are the children of God. It has not yet appeared as what we shall be. We don't really know. We know uh, Matthew 13, 43. We will shine forth as the sun. It's big. It's a big verse, you know, right at the end of the wheat and the tares. God says, my righteous one will shine. They'll shine like the sun. Back to the first John three passage uh, has not yet appeared as what we shall be. We know we shall be like him. We're going to shine like the sun and everyone who has a hope fixed on him purifies himself. Are you purifying yourself? Do you have that hope in Christ? Are you purifying yourself? I love Alcorn's Analogy here, he says, you know, if your wedding date is on the calendar, you're not so easily seduced. You're thinking about your future mate. Likewise, if we've meditated on heaven, sin is, a, is terribly unappealing. This is one of the powers of it. You just have no desire for it if you're looking at what God has promised us. You guys know 2 Peter 3.13. According to God's promise, we are looking for the new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. If we're not looking, that is problematic for anyone who would claim to be a Christian. Of course, as a pastor, I get a lot of why questions. But I love, I read this in Alcorn's book and I loved it. You know, we can't answer a lot of the why questions. God doesn't really answer very many of them. Uh, but sometimes it has everything to do with the new heaven and new earth. Now, you, you don't have a clue what I'm about to say, I'm pretty sure. Why does my present trial have, how does that have anything to do with the new heaven and new earth? I love what he says here. Christ is not simply preparing a place for us. He is preparing us for that place. I bet most of us have never thought in these terms. Listen to Alcorn. I have, I have a couple of sentences I want to read to you. We all have earthly dreams, but often don't see them realized. We become discouraged and lose hope. But as Christ's apprentices, we must learn certain disciplines. Apprentices in training must work hard to prepare for the next challenge. There may be a lot of things we want, but the master may see that these would not lead to ultimate, ultimate success. 
He may override uh, the apprentice's desires in order that they might learn perspective and patience which will serve them in the new heaven and new earth. Now, I had never thought about this before I read it in Alcorn's book. Maybe new to most of you. He continues. While the young apprentices experience the death of their, this is beautiful, the death of their worldly dreams, the master is shaping them to dream greater dreams that will one day be lived out in the new heaven and new earth. This is big. This is real big. It, it's how the ecclesia think. It's how we process life. He continues, though, though the challenges you face now, uh, you now face, what dreams might, what, okay, let me get it right. Through the challenges you now face, what dreams might God be preparing you to live out in the new heaven and new earth? Peter's right. What sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct in light of what God is saying to us? Are you living your life before the audience of one? That's one thing I loved about Karen and I <laughs> in Milan. It was just God. And if he kept the door open one more week, that'd be great. But if it didn't, if he didn't, then it was his purpose. It was just God. It was just all about God. It was always about the audience of one. You know, you have people come in and you, you preach about a big sovereign God and they don't like it and, and you talk to them and they tell you they hate it and you say, well, I'm sorry, but it's what God says about himself. Hope you come back next week. And, uh, but, you know, you know they're not going to come back. They don't want to hear what, they don't want to hear about the living God. They don't, they don't want that. They want the pseudo-Christ. They don't want that and they don't want to be called to live their life before the audience of Yahweh. The audience of one. They don't want to be called to that. No, I want to be my own little sovereign. I'll do whatever I please. Whenever I please. Don't call me to that. I'll never come back to your church. Okay, don't come back. But if you come here, we're going to love you enough to tell you what God says. Yeah, we might make a mistake here or there, but we're never going to edit God. We'll never edit God here. So, beloved, the shore is very close. Can you see it? You're supposed to be able to see it. It's supposed to be real to you. God means for you to take it seriously. God means for you to live your Nikkei faith huge. And here's the deal. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we live it huge? There's no logical, rational reason why we wouldn't, if we really believe He is who He says He is, there's no reason that we shouldn't live it huge. There's no reason. It's only unbelief. <clears throat> it's only unbelief. God said, this is how my born-again sons and daughters live, like I'm really God, like I'm really good, like I can really keep my promise. God says to his kids, and I love this, God says, my kids, you guys know this, Hebrews 11, desire a better country, that is a heavenly one, therefore I am not ashamed to be called their God. 
for the Bible-believing, born-again Christian God in the last three or four sermons, and really every Sunday, every time you sit under the Word of God, He's blowing away the fog so you can see the shore, so you will finish strong. And it makes me a little crazy. I know I'm a preacher. Makes me a little crazy. Oh, I don't think I'll go to church today. I'm not interested in seeing the shore any better. I'm not interested in making my way, you know, laboring to make my way closer to Christ. I'm not really interested in that. I, 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 can't, I can't relate to it. I can't understand it. Uh, it grieves me beyond expression. You know, I was thinking in Milan, you had people from all over the world, and they're in Italy, and of course Italy's the most beautiful country in the world, probably. <laughs> and, you know, they come and they want to, they and I get they want to travel, I get that they want to travel some, and I get that. You know, that's good. But what about laboring, right, to understand the superficiality of the world and laboring to be much acquainted with your new home? You know, it's just, how can Sunday be optional? How can worship be optional? How can sitting under the preached word ever be optional? It can't be for the true believer. It won't be. That's not to say you won't miss sometimes, okay. But you have an appetite. Because God, in this place, that's what I know about your leaders, in this place, our job and we all get paid a lot of money, as you know. Those of you who don't know, we, none of us get paid anything. And we're happy to do it. Right? We're happy to do it. But in this place, we're going to keep blowing the fog away. And if there's anybody in Scott or the surrounding areas that want to see what it looks like when the fog gets blown away, if you want to see that, then you can come here because we're going to tell you. We're going to tell you. And what I want to say to you, I'm done. What I want to say to you, the shore is oh so very close, beloved. It's very close. Let's pray together.